I really enjoy the outdoors. Um, I love being in the mountains alongside rivers, streams, lakes, and so forth. I love seeing rain and snow. Um, one of my best memories in the outdoors was uh, hunting alone up in Rock Creek area, and it was snowing. It was about a foot and a half deep of snow, and it was just quiet as can be, and the snow was falling lightly, and it was just breathtaking. I was hoping nothing would cross my path that I would shoot because it was so peaceful. Um, but it was a wonderful time, and I just love that type of thing. I love summer thunderstorms. Do you like those things? Um, when the, you can feel it's hot and the clouds roll in and you know it's going to happen. Um, we, we like to go out on our deck when, when that's going to happen and just sit and listen and watch and see the lightning and hear the, hear the sounds and enjoy the smells and so forth. Uh, I love the outdoors. Try, we try, my, my wife and I try to go see my parents uh, once a year. They live in Colorado Springs, and we usually drive out there. And uh, when we go, we try to take a different route every time just so we can see different parts of the country and enjoy what we see. Um, last month, we went via Los Angeles. We went all the way down through Oregon, eastern Oregon, then cut over to the California coast and drove down the California coast all the way to Los Angeles. And uh, it was absolutely beautiful on that, on that trip. And then we went from LA through the Southwest over to see my parents in Colorado Springs. And I've never been through the Southwest since I was like six years old with my parents. Um, and that wasn't too memorable. But uh, this time it was stunning to me and able to view all the beauty that is in that area. I think that our travels to Colorado and our sitting out on the deck and enjoying the outdoors and so forth are reasonable responses to nature, aren't they? To enjoy being there, to, to experience what I think God has created nature to cause. Kind of a, a, a healing of the soul and an encouragement to look Godward and enjoy the things that he's made for us to enjoy. In our passage today, I want to show you that a reasonable response to God's creation in nature and in your soul is to appreciate it, to enjoy it. And so if you turn with me to Psalm 119, we're going to look at verse 73 together. And I'm going to try to unpack that verse for you today in hopes that, that you will be encouraged to appreciate God's creations both in the physical world and in the spiritual world. And my, my reason for doing this is the hope of encouraging you and those you love to experience a vigorous faith, a, a genuine faith, a deep faith. And so I want to read the verse for you and then I'm going to do my best to explain it to you in these terms. It says this in verse 73 of the Yod stanza. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Now last week we, we covered the general theme of this stanza, if you remember. But today I want to focus particularly on this verse, uh, beginning with our physical creation. The verse says, your hands have made and fashioned me. That's plain to see. Christians believe that God creates I've already mentioned God's natural creation. 
that we see and appreciate daily, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. So now I want you just to think about your personal creation, your personal physical creation granted to you by God. To help you um, process this verse, I thought about God creating each of us in terms of credit and debt. Follow me for a second. Um, God is the creditor who grants us capital in the form of a physical body. Does that make sense? All right. Um, he's also granted us a soul. In doing these things for us, we naturally assume a debt to him for this capital. So when God creates us with body and soul, there is required of us some debt. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's look at God's credit in this relationship. We just heard read Genesis 1.27. I'll read it again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then chapter 2, verse 7 of Genesis. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. In, in God's omnipotence, creativity, and love, he took an everyday substance, dust, and formed original man out of it. That's impressive to me. Uh, the most I've been able to do with dust is to make mud pies. And I, was, I even needed water supplied for that creation. Um, but think about the body that God has credited to your account. Whether it's perfect or not, think about your body um, that God has credited to your account. It's a spectacular organism, isn't it? It's perfectly suited for the environment that God has placed you in. We have an immune system that fights deadly disease that are lurking all around us, and we don't even know that this immune system's working. We don't have to command it. We don't have to, you know, think about it actively. It just works. Um, we have muscles in our bodies that work around the clock to keep us alive, our heart and lungs, without any intentional effort. We have a frame made of hard substance called bones that allow us to walk and run. We have five senses that allow us to fully function in this environment. They give us protection and warn us from danger. These senses cause enjoyment, give the ability to form friendships, and strengthen our faculties of memory, deep thought, and intellectual growth, all without our trying. It is very impressive body that God has credited to our account. And, and this just scratches the surface. On top of all this, though, we have a reasonable mind that processes all this data and literally makes thousands of decisions every minute that you have no idea your mind is making. You, I just saw someone scratch their brow. Why? Think about why that happens. You didn't even think about it. You, that kind of stuff, what's going on in your brain all the time, every minute that we don't even know is taking place behind the scenes. What's more impressive than all of this is the soul of man that God created. The soul is what further separates us from the animals. No creature but humanity possesses this part of creation. Ecclesiastes 12.7 says, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. God gave you your soul. 
You possess a soul, and God is the one who gave it to you. And the Bible speaks of God being the creator of spirits in numerous places. But Colossians 1 affirms that God creates invisible things like air, like soul, that we don't necessarily see from the surface. But then we come to Psalm 139, authored by David, and he says this, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So God created, David believed, his body and soul. So this is what God has credited to your account, a body and soul. Now, if this is a credit that God has given to our account, and it is, how do we manage this debt of our physical being? To start with, well, my debt is our next point. We see God's credit, and now my debt. What, what is the reasonable response to being created in this way, physically speaking? Well, Romans 11.36 says, For from him, speaking of God, through him and to him are all things to be glory forever. To him be glory forever. Everything that is, is created by God. Everything. Both visible and invisible. This means that there is a definite purpose for everything that exists. It's from him and to him for a specific purpose. So gnats serve a purpose. These things that are crawling around underneath rocks all the time have a purpose. More importantly, we have a purpose. So how do we manage this debt, this gift, this credit that God has given us? First, I think we need to acknowledge the debt, which is what the psalmist does. Your hands have made and fashioned me. There's a simple acknowledgement. You made me, God. There's something must follow. Something must follow. I acknowledge it. Acknowledge the debt. In Psalm 139, 14 that I just read for you, we see that David understands God's role in his existence. I was fearfully and wonderfully made by you, God. And what did that lead to? Concluding with praising God for his good credit. So before we can really manage the debt we owe God for our existence, we must acknowledge that it exists. And I think it doesn't take much to convince a Christian to acknowledge that debt exists. And then we must move to, towards repaying that debt. Debts need to be repaid, right? We understand that. Of course, that's becoming less and less of reality in our culture. You take a debt and then go bankrupt. Who cares, right? No, but that's not the way it is in reality. If we're credited something, we repay that something. So how might we repay God for the debt of life that he has credited to your account? Think about that for a second. First of all, have you acknowledged that debt? Are you thankful for your life and your health? whatever that may be? Are you careful with your body or do you abuse it? Do you take care of it? Are you a good steward of your existence? Are you using your body to bring glory to God? You remember Paul's temple idea in 1 Corinthians? Let me read it for you. He mentions it a few times in 1 Corinthians, but this is the one that I think makes my point. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. 
He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? God has given you this body, and the Holy Spirit, if you know Christ, dwells in this temple of your body. You are not your own, Paul continues, for you were bought with a price, so do what? Glorify God in your body. My point here isn't the problems with sexual immorality. My point is that God has granted you, credited you a body, and you need to use that body to bring glory to Him. In Matthew 22, Jesus said we need to love God with all of our heart, mind, and strength. Not only with our body, but with our mind that resides in our body. Man was made to love and serve and glorify God with their body and soul. That divine image that God granted us in creation was created by God and for God. We were designed to be God-centered in all things. But because of the fall into sin, mankind is no longer able to naturally fulfill the purpose for which they were created. Sin is a simple thing to understand. Let me explain it to you. It is moving away from a God-centered life. That's sin. Simply moving away from a God-centered life in any area you choose. But because of the fall, we've got this struggle here on dealing or managing this credit. Adam and Eve demonstrated by their actions that they no longer wanted to have an intimate and dependent relationship with God. And I think our sinful choices demonstrate the same thing. This is what Romans 3.23 means. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul said that man is the image, man is the glory of God in 1 Corinthians 11.7. We have come short of that standard. We have come short of God's glory. We've, we've uh, diminished the image of God that he has granted us in our creation. We become blind to spiritual things, vain in our view of life, stubborn, perverted, with conceited mind, thinking that we can exist apart from God. An independent perspective. Who needs God? Well, as Christians, if we think a little bit, we realize that we're in desperate need of Him, both physically and spiritually. But the norm now... In our, fallen, in our fallen sinful state, instead of having our affections drawn to God, they're drawn away from Him. They're drawn towards ourselves. We're drawn towards the world in our natural state. And here's where my second point comes into play this morning. My spiritual creation. I think this is really the focus of verse 73. Your hands have made and fashioned me. God, you have created an alive spirit. You have regenerated my soul. Hence, the rest of the verse. See, the fall from God's intended life is now what all humanity is accustomed to. This is now where we exist and we think it's good and normal to live without God, without any view of him. We're born this way now, spiritually dead, needing to be made new, needing to be born again, as Jesus said in John 3, needing to be born from above. 
And being born again is the only way which we can know or do the will of God. We can't get there any other way unless we are granted spiritual life. Do you know that unless you're granted spiritual life, you can't follow God? You can follow your own creation of God in your mind, but you can't follow the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, without his initiating work. This is what Jesus went to great lengths to explain to Nicodemus in John 3. You remember that encounter? Here's what he said in verses 5 and 6 of John 3 to Nicodemus. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He can't experience life the way God intended. He cannot please and honor God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That's which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So the only way to recover what was lost in Adam is found in Jesus Christ. That's it. Although we were physically made and fashioned by God, we must be made and refashioned spiritually. Paul mentioned this in Ephesians 2, you remember. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our spiritual life, our, our, our spiritual walk, our, our pursuit of God requires an initiating work of the Holy Spirit. In verse 73, the psalmist is saying simply this, You have made me once, Lord, make me again spiritually. You've made me physically, now God, please renew my soul, is what the psalmist is saying, so that I can have a new spiritual heart, so that I can serve and obey you and love you as I should. That's what verse 73 is, your, hand, your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. So in our first birth, God grants natural understanding, but it requires a second birth to have a spiritual understanding. This is how we can view God's credit to us in this department, the spiritual department. God is giving us capital, remember. And we have a responsibility, a debt that's assumed. But here is the credit that we receive from God. 1 Corinthians 1.30, and because of him, because of who? God. Because of God you were in Christ Jesus, and here's the, here's the credit, who became to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's pretty significant credit, isn't it? <laughs> and then, of course, James 1.18, of his own will, his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a first fruit, a reflection of the image of Christ to the world. There is a lot more we can talk about in terms of the credit we receive by spiritual birth. But we see here in verse 73 of Psalm 119, it's, it's a request for spiritual life. Because it's only by the gift of spiritual life can a person understand God and his ways and serve him and love him. It requires this credit of spiritual life. This is why spiritual things make no sense to those who have not yet experienced the second birth. This is that birth caused by God, that spiritual life that only God can bring about. So what is my debt to this spiritual life? We've seen briefly the debt we owe to God because of the physical life he's given us. Are we serving? Are we thankful? So forth. But how about our debt to this second birth, the spiritual life, the spiritual credit that God has granted us in Christ. 
Well, again, acknowledge the debt. <laughs> One way we acknowledge the debt that we owe God is to simply ask Him to grant the gift of spiritual life we need. When you come to Christ realizing your need, um, confessing that you're a sinner, pleading with God's great, for God's grace in Christ, it is an acknowledgement of the debt. You, you are lacking, and so you come to Christ. That's an acknowledgement of the debt. And we ask this because God has already given us physical life, and the spiritual life is simply a completion of that work. If spiritual life is really the only way in which we can fully fulfill um, our God-designed purpose, then it would make sense for God to grant us this spiritual life, right? If we are not complete people unless we know Christ, why wouldn't God grant that request when we ask it? He would and He does liberally. If you lack spiritual life, this is a very reasonable request of God. If your friends, your kids, your co-workers lack spiritual life, then ask God to give it so more people will bring more glory to God. This is a reasonable request because God is most glorified by His creatures, dependence, and God is glorified by giving liberally to those who ask. We sang this this morning in the song, Come ye sinners, come ye thirsty, come and welcome God's free bounty, glorify. When we come, that glorifies God's bounty. When we come and ask and say, God, I need, He is glorified when He grants the things that we need. Being that God has made and fashioned us physically, He is inclined to also complete His purposes in us by making and fashioning a spiritual life in each of us so that we will fulfill His purpose for our creation, which is to serve, worship, bring glory to our Creator. Interestingly, we are just as dependent on God whether or not we acknowledge it. You realize that? Even atheists. They are just as dependent on God whether or not they acknowledge His existence. It's just a matter of their opinion at this point. The only thing that's changed between the original creation when Adam and Eve obviously understood their dependence on God and now is understanding and embracing our dependence on Him. Do you understand that? Do you understand that you are completely dependent on God both physically and more importantly spiritually? What a wonderful evangelistic prayer this could be for those in our lives that we love but don't yet know Jesus. Here it is, Lord, please have compassion on so-and-so and grant them spiritual life because you've already made and fashioned them physically. Now just do so spiritually. Please fulfill your purpose in so-and-so so they would bring the most glory to you. Everybody on this planet glorifies God by doing what they were physically or created to do. Enjoy thunderstorms. Enjoy beauty. That brings glory to God. But what brings most glory to God is a dependence on Him for both physical and spiritual things necessary. The request in verse 73 acknowledges our inability that we weak sinners possess. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. God, I'm in desperate need of you doing a work in me. That's what's being prayed here. That's the request. 
It re, this request acknowledges that God cannot be glorified in us as He should unless He first does a work of grace. He must renew and strengthen us. He must give a new heart that desires His Word and desires obedience. So now we get to the matter of repaying this credit. For those of us who have actually embraced Christ, who have received grace and forgiveness of sins, how do we repay that debt? This is tricky territory. Let me give you a hint. You can't repay that debt. John Piper speaks about this well and has an important idea as it relates to this idea of spiritual debt. How do you repay God for grace? He addresses the question. Um, how do we do this? I'll, I'll serve him more. I'll, I'll give more. I'll do more. That's, our, that's where we naturally go, right? Especially you legalists. I should say we legalists. That's where we go. God's been so good, so I, I guess I'll serve in the nursery. You know? Guess I'll go to Othello. Well, listen to this logic that Piper explains. The only way that we can love and serve God is if He grants us the ability to do so, which puts you in further debt. The more you try, the more you give, the more you serve, the more you owe to Him, because you can only do those things if He grants the grace to do them. There is no getting out of debt as believers. And this is the point. God is glorified the deeper in debt we go to Him. Unlike banks, they are not more glorified in that. They're worried about it the deeper in debt you go. Your credit scores goes down. But in God, the further in debt we go, our credit scores go up. And it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? To be in debt to Christ with nothing else to do but demonstrate gratitude. So our attitude cannot be repayment. It simply must be thanksgiving. In all things, Paul said, do what? Give thanks. Just say thank you. So have you personally acknowledged your debt to God? Have you done so by pleading with Him to give new life to your dead soul? Have you asked that He would give you spiritual understanding that you might become obedient from the heart? Not obedient in the letter, but obedient from the heart? Have you a desire to obey? Do you have a servant's heart? Do you have an attitude of humility? Do you have winsome speech, seasoned with salt? As Paul said, the aroma of life. Verse 73 of Psalm 119 indicates an understanding of the obligation or debt that this psalmist owes. He's asking God that God would awaken his heart so that God would fulfill his purpose in me. And his request is logical and simple. When Jesus died, he did so to weaken our love for sin, to weaken the love of this world, and to strengthen grace and to strengthen righteousness. 
in our hearts. Jesus died to pay the price required by God to deal with our sinful independence of God. Sin requires penalty, and Jesus pays that penalty so that the path to receiving spiritual renewal and spiritual life from God is completely free, completely open. You just must ask. This insightful request in Psalm 119, verse 73, reveals that the psalmist believes that God is good and that he is capable of granting the request. This has been the attitude of all those who believe in God and trust him. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. God cares deeply for all that he has made, especially the apex, zenith, pinnacle of his creation, which is you and me. He cares deeply for us. This was Satan's deceiving logic to Eve. You remember that? He wanted Eve to question God's goodness. He said something like this to Eve. God knows that once you eat of the fruit, you'll be like him, and he doesn't want the competition. God isn't really all that good. He just wants to keep you in your place, Eve. This is one of Satan's favorite ploys today. To separate us from our creator, Satan gets us to question God's goodness. How can God be good? Look at my circumstances. Look at the the situation over in Africa. And I think this is an effective strategy by Satan that trips many up. We can pray that those in our lives that are running away from God would develop good thoughts of God. That God would plant in their minds good thoughts of himself. Pray that they would believe the truth about God, that he is good, that he is loving, that he is kind, that he cares deeply for us. It's a wonderful prayer to to pray for those who are questioning God. Many are frightened away from God thinking he's angry, mean, wants to smash us at any opportunity. But these are not winsome thoughts and don't draw us to God. You don't really hang out with people you fear is going to smash you. That's not something you do. You avoid them. If someone has hard thoughts of God, they certainly won't love and serve him. This is why the servant in Jesus' parable of the talents in Matthew 25 didn't serve his master, remember? The, The guy who was given one talent, he goes and buries it, and when the master shows up, he digs up this one talent, gives it to him, says, I know you were a hard master, so here's your, here's your talent. He thought his master was mean. What motivates us to love and serve God is knowing that he loves us, that he's for us, that he cares for us. So, friends, God is good. Let's pray that we fully understand that, that those we're praying that will come to know Jesus will fully understand that. God is good. He's a good creator, especially to man, most of all to those who seek him for grace and strength. Friends, today I wanted to help you understand that we are completely dependent on a good God, that we owe a winsome debt to him that we can never repay to love and serve him. And that we can ask God to perform in our loved ones what he hopefully has performed in us, which is a supernatural affection for our creator. Let's pray.
Lord, these thoughts swell our hearts in love for you. Thank you for these things in your word that draw us to yourself. Help us to be a people who are in love with you, who serve you, who recognize our debt and joyfully embrace the fact that we can never repay it. We ask for those in our lives who are living separate from you, who don't see their need or dependence on you. We ask that you would have mercy on their souls, that you would complete their existence by granting them spiritual life, that they may love and serve you as we do. Father, have mercy on them. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on our children. We pray this in the name of our great Savior, Jesus Christ, who did all these things for us. Amen.